Welcome to the Am I Called podcast. Am I Called is a ministry that exists to help men find their call and to help pastors find called men. For more information and resources, visit amicalled.com. Now, here's your host, Dave Harvey. Hey folks, Dave Harvey here at the Am I Called podcast. If you're a Christian and you've spent any time whatsoever online, you've undoubtedly heard or maybe read the name Tim Challies. Tim began his website at challies.com back in 2002, and it's really grown in prominence until it became a kind of go-to place for book reviews, expansive content, and really relevant commentary on lots and lots of issues. Tim's also a husband and a father of three, but there's a lesser known and probably less publicized fact about Tim, which is of special interest to this particular podcast, and that is that Tim is also a pastor. Tim serves at Grace Fellowship Church in Toronto, and as with all pastors, he has a story to tell. Tim, welcome to the Am I Called podcast. Sure, thanks for having me. Now, Tim, you were essentially the first Christian blogger, at least for me, and I think probably for a lot of other folks as well. How did you get started in blogging, and and how did you grow that blog to the place where it is right now? Sure. Yeah, I got started in blogging, I guess a little bit by mistake. It was just sort of when blogging was taking off, people were starting to get their own websites. Um, I live up in Canada. My family lives down in the States, so I decided to grab the challies.com name and just use it as a bit of a, a place where I could send updates about my kids down to my folks and my, I've got three sisters and a brother all down in the south. And so I started it as a family site and then, you know, I'd put pictures of my kids up there and things like that. Over time, I was in a church, I was just sort of wrestling with some theological issues and started writing about them and sharing them with my family. And just over time, those articles that I wrote sort of got read a little bit wider, and uh, over time, I just got rid of the pictures of the kids. Facebook came along, so it was a better place for them, and then I just kept on going with the writing. So you didn't necessarily have an aspiration to start a blog that was going to be widely read. You were more trying to serve your family and uh, and and others? Yeah, essentially. I just I, Blogging was not really so much of a thing back there. I didn't really even know the word blog until I already had a website and was already doing some writing. So it, it came about really differently from if I was to start today. I would know a whole lot more exactly what I was shooting for. Yeah, that kind of puts in mind the uh, a quote I once read in, I think it was J. Oswald Sanders' book on spiritual leadership where he said something like, let, let the office seek the man, not the man, the office. And, he, you know, he's speaking of eldership or leadership, but the the point is the accent on God's initiative through the through the voice of opportunity and through the voice of other people. And, you know, there's a sense where you're, you're not necessarily looking to become somebody who's going to be widely read in a blog. You're looking to serve your family. You're looking to just move toward a medium that you're comfortable in and use it to serve, and it develops into something. Yeah, yeah, I think that was roughly the way it came about. And, of course, there was some, over time, there was some ambition and some... Um, thoughtfulness I had to put into it, but really it did begin rather by mistake or rather just by, I guess, the Lord's behind-the-scene work and just uh, giving me the desire and the ability to write and then other people caring about what I wrote. So uh, absolutely, I think it just it kind of happened, and it was a unique circumstance way back then when the, the blogosphere was still very new, very original. 
Now, you had a successful web business, right? And, and so you added to that blogging, um, but then also somewhere along the way, pastoral ministry was, was added as well. Why don't you tell us the story of how you experienced God's call to pastoral ministry? Sure. So, again, I was doing the writing at that time. I was in the in computer hardware, so I would uh, go out and fix people's computers, essentially, or their networks. Uh, I transitioned into running a home business, which was web design, just creating web pages, and that allowed me flexibility and the ability to dedicate a little bit more time to the writing than if I had been working in a more standard office atmosphere. And, um, yeah, so over time I was doing the writing, and one day there was a comment left on my site, and I happened to click the name and saw that it was of a pastor right here in the Toronto area, pastoring a little Reformed Baptist church in Toronto. And I had no idea such a thing was in my area. And so I went out to the church. I met the pastor a couple days later and went out to the church and have never looked back. So we were there for probably about five years or four years, probably about five years, when uh, the elders approached me and said, we wonder if you feel called to ministry. We have started to identify in you what we would see as the, the marks of a pastor, so we'd like to just welcome you into the sort of initial processes of, of uh, getting into ministry. And so it was quite a long period of attending meetings and getting introduced to ministry before I was finally uh, presented to the congregation. How were you serving the church prior to being a pastor of the church, Tim? Uh just being a church member, really, just serving where I could and having people into my home. And in our church, we put a lot of stock on just acting the office before you're put in the office. And so I suppose that was just it. I'd taken on just a little bit of teaching here and there, uh, along with my wife, teaching kids programs. And I think I might have um, spoken at an evening service or two, teaching this and that. So, uh, yeah, just serving as a church member, really. Yeah, for, for the guys who are listening, I, I just want you to pay attention to this part of Tim's story because Tim's saying he joined a church. So, so the, the call to ministry is a, is a call to the local church. It, it, it flows from the church and it, it exists for the church. And so if, you're, if you feel called to ministry and you're not presently a member of the church, then, then make membership your, your next step. And if I'm hearing you right, Tim, that's you just got involved in the church. You didn't get involved thinking the church was going to be a stepping stone into the ministry. You just saw the importance of membership. You began to serve the church, and then it became evident as you served that uh, God had called you to pastoral ministry. Right. So I, I have not felt from a young age that deep call to be a minister. I sort of dabbled with the idea when I was a teenager, but as a very shy and quiet person, terrified of being in front of people and all of that, the thought of me being in leadership was very far from my mind. So while I did have some aspirations to the, maybe to the idea of ministry and leadership, it, it was a, a real conflict with my personality and maybe even a little bit of just selfishness, not wanting to break some of those molds or step out of my comfort areas. And so it was really when the church approached me, and they had to address some of that, saying, you may have some of the marks, but here's where you would need to really work. And the main thing they gave me was just being more personable, getting in people's lives, allowing people to get to know me. Yeah, I think that's a really important message um, that emerges from your story and the story of many other 
men who are called to ministry where you know you're you're moving toward the local church you're becoming a member and you're not you're not arriving announcing your qualifications or informing others of your expectations even though you have this aspiration in your heart but rather you're seeing the importance of being among the folks and serving them and even being under evaluation where you're learning certain things about what it means to care for God's people and and so I, I think it's really important that we we we're we're among the people not necessarily pursuing an aspiration to preach or lead but just a commitment to serve and then the call to preach and lead will become self-attesting. Right, yeah. Uh, what we don't want is to bring people into the office so that they will serve. Take people of great natural ability who are not putting those abilities to use, bring them into an office and expect, well, now he'll, now he'll use it, now he'll use those abilities. Uh, we would rather have people of lesser ability but a desire and uh, proven track record of service and bring those people in. Yeah. And so as, as leaders in our church, those are the people we're looking for, people of character, but people who will, who will serve with what they've got. They may not have as much leadership ability, as much natural uh, skill, but they have the desire and the ability to serve. They have a track record of serving. Now, Tim, is there a pastoral design on your, to your website? In other words, how does what you do on the website feed into your pastoral ministry and, and, and vice versa? Yeah, in some ways, there's a pretty hard line between the two worlds. I try to keep them separate. So I have my church time, I have my blog time, and, you know, I can't take pastoral counseling situations and start talking about them on the blog, you know. Uh, on the other hand, I'm not completely divided either. So I, I think the two feed into one another. As I'm thinking about things, I bring them to the pulpit or to counseling, and I sometimes write about them. So I, I have my own lines, I think. I, just, I won't cross. I won't, obviously, um, as I said, talk about somebody publicly that I shouldn't. But I do think the two go hand in hand, and I hope that being a pastor has made me a better writer. I think one of the temptations for a writer is to cloister yourself away and to get very tuned into yourself. But as a pastor, I'm constantly in other people's lives. And as you know, when you're really in deep in other people's lives, you see that the answers are usually a little bit more complicated than we think they are. There's a lot more gray than black and white. Well, you're certainly building discernment in people as well. As you, In fact, your first book was on dis- spiritual discernment, and, uh, and part of the way that you write seems to be to get, to get Christians thinking doctrinally about what's taking place today or what's taking place in the church, and the effect of that is, a, is an elevation of the importance of discerning sound doctrine and, and a model of it. Sure, yeah. I think the mind goes out ahead of the emotions and everything else. We worship from what we know. We live from what we know. And I just have a real interest in figuring things out and thinking about things. So if a blog is thinking out loud in public, that's exactly what I'm doing. As situations come along, as um, world events come along, I just try and think about it biblically and try and then make that public. And even if that's not modeling the exact right way, I think it gives other people something to say, well, I agree with that or I disagree with that, but I hope it it helps carry on conversations in certain areas. And certainly we as Christians need to be training our minds, constantly training our minds. I don't think there's been a lot of emphasis on that in the church in recent years, recent decades. And so that's one thing I'm trying to do is 
to develop a well-trained Christian mind. Why do you think that's been de-emphasized? Uh, we love emotion, right? And uh, we, we love to feel sometimes more than we love to think. We may not understand the importance of feeling through our thoughts, you know, allowing our thoughts to lead the way, and then feeling emotion that are subject to what we know to be true. Um, that, that's my... Yeah, I think thinking is a, is a casualty of a therapeutic culture that tends to orient towards feelings rather than truth. Sure, yeah, absolutely. Tim, imagine for a second there's a pastor and he's, he's listening and, and he, he's wondering if he should start a blog, if that's a way that he, he could be of service not only to his people but to others as well. Why don't you discuss some of the pros and cons of that and, and offer any practical counsel you might have? Sure. I think there's still lots of room for blogs out there. It may be that the wave has crested a little bit. Everybody's tried it at least once. A lot have tried it and just not enjoyed it that much. There still is room for it. I think you can blog for many different reasons. A lot of people blog for a very defined audience that may just be their church, and they want to use a blog as a means to continue to get ideas and content and reminders out to their people, and that can be a very noble reason to blog. Um, another thing there's lots of room for is people to blog toward a certain niche. And so there was a time when you could start a blog and talk about anything, and people would read because there wasn't a whole lot to choose from. And that was, I think, way back when I started, there weren't that many Christian blogs. Today there's just millions and millions of them. So the successful blogs I see that begin today are the ones that go after a certain niche. So uh, Brian Croft loves to talk about issues just related to pastoring, questions that come up in pastoring. And I think he's done a very good job at uh, practical shepherding of just pointing people to here's a question you may have as a pastor and here's an answer, just that very practical, hands-on kind of ministry. So I think there's lots of room for people to develop that kind of blog, to become an expert in an area rather than uh, a jack-of-all-trades. You know, I was thinking earlier about how one of the unique effects of the Internet is is that it it flattens the field and makes it so that a, a new pastor and an old pastor can can kind of get equal hearing. And the, pr- the problem with that at times can be that a guy with uh, 25 years of experience can have a lot to say, and a young guy could, could really find an audience that's disproportionate to his experience. So, Tim, talk for a second to to the young guys who might be out there and and offer any counsel that you think they should be thinking about as they consider starting a blog. Sure, and this is something I've had to deal with up close. I was still in my 20s when I started writing, and even now I'm only 37, I'm going to say. I think that's what I am. And so I'm still young compared to many and with a lot less experience in ministry than many other men. So I, I deal with this regularly, and I think the key is to have men in your life, older men in your life, godly older men in your life who love you enough to tell you when to sit down and shut up and just stop writing or to tell you what subjects to not blunder into and who will not read everything you write, but you can send it to them and just say, tell me what I should say or tell me if I should say this, and you'll listen when he says no. So I think we've got to put those sorts of boundaries in place because we just don't have the wisdom that comes with age, we don't have the wisdom that comes with experience when we're younger. So yeah. absolutely, you've got to have those people in your life, That's or you good. will blunder. 
Yeah, every man has to have a man in his life who can say, shut up. Exactly. And you've got to be willing to listen to him and assume that he's right. You know, I was I was looking through your book, The, the Next Story, yesterday, and I remember the first time I read it, um, I was very excited about what I was reading because of some of the some of the insights that you were offering and the way that they were helping me, helping Christians think about the technological revolution that was taking place. Um, in the book, you say communication itself has become the cultural idol. And, you know, you go on to say how technology is not wrong, but that it, it, it can at times serve to enhance and enable the greater idol of communication. And yeah, I was I was affected reading that again yesterday because I was just I, I don't feel like I've got the fences high enough at times. So how do I know if I'm worshiping that that idol of communication and and what steps can can I take or or any of our listeners take if they want to just, you know, renounce the idol and and uh, move in a different direction. Sure. Well, so many of these technologies we have today, so much of the digital revolution is a communication revolution, right? That's what we do. What is Facebook? What is Twitter? What is cell phone? What are all these things but means through which we communicate? So we communicate more than ever, wider than ever, louder than ever, and with a voice that extends farther than ever. So uh, if you're a Christian and you've read... Proverbs, and you've read James, and you've read the words of Jesus, you know how dangerous it is to just be communicating all the time. Um, And after a time, communication becomes how we define ourselves and how we measure ourselves. We measure by the impact we make online. We measure by the number of people we can communicate with or communicate to. So there's definitely a certain kind of idolatry that can come there, and what's the solution but to keep going back to the gospel and to allow ourselves to be defined by who we are in Christ before anything else, and to know that our worth is found not in anything except in what he has done for us. He's given us our worth, he's given us our value, and uh, so there's no other means we ought to be measuring ourselves. How does that work for you each day? Um, How do you apply the gospel uh, when it comes to what you're doing online? Yeah, uh, probably not as intentionally as I should a lot of times, but I, again, have people in my life who are pretty unimpressed by what I can or may accomplish online. My kids don't really care how many Twitter followers I have. They care whether I tuck them in at night. And uh, my wife loves me way too much to be a fan. And even the people at my church, you know, are they enjoy the site and they enjoy what I do out there, but ultimately they need a pastor more than just another person writing abstract things out there. So uh, having people in my life who who are, you know, who, who love me enough to really bring the gospel to me and who love me enough not to be impressed, I think that's really where, where um, I think that's been tremendously helpful to me. One of the things that you do regularly on your site is uh, you you recommend books, you review books. It's evident that you're a big time reader, Tim. You know, one of the things that we tell young guys is, hey, you got to read to lead. If you're going to lead, you know, get reading. And um, I, I know I, I want to grow in reading, and I'm sure many of our listeners do as well. How do you find time? to read so many books in light of all the other things that you have going on? I think a lot of people give up too soon on reading. So 
the more you read, the easier it becomes to read. So once you've read eight books on leadership, the ninth book on leadership comes really quick because chances are it's very derivative of the previous eight. So there's this initial outlay into reading where you're reading books in different categories and you're reading the best two or three books in categories of parenting, of leadership, of call to ministry, of whatever those different topics are. But after you've done that, reading becomes so much easier and you can move at a faster pace and you're just so familiar with the categories. So if you give up way at the beginning, you'll never get the benefit as if you go longer. And then you're reading the books just to look for what makes it unique, what makes it different. Where, when do you read during the day? What, what's the rhythm of reading look like for you? Sure, it comes and goes, sort of just as life comes and goes, as life changes. Some weeks I'll read two or three books. Some weeks I'll barely read a thing. And um, yeah, I do a lot of audio listening in the car. I just try and use those little spots in life. If you just read when you're waiting for your doctor's appointment and read when you're waiting to get your hair cut and things like that, you can do a lot of reading, just those little cracks and spaces rather than thinking I can only read when I can carve out two or two hours just sit down and and do it. One of the things that your reading seems to do Tim is that it 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 gives you perspective on issues emerging within the church sometimes controversial issues that you you weigh in on on your blog. Um Talk to the pastors for a second and, and speak to the issue of, of when you think it's appropriate for a pastor to weigh in on an issue and maybe when he should just keep his mouth shut. Mm-hmm. Well, it depends. If you spend a lot of time online, you'll tend to think that things are bigger and more urgent than is really the case. So you can go and speak to your church about some current event, and 99 out of 100 people there will have no idea what you're talking about and just won't care. So if you're spending a lot of time immersed in Internet controversy and following the, the lifestyles of the rich and famous, or at least the Christian celebrities, you'll be living in an alternate reality, and people just really typically don't care. Having said that, if you have several people in your church coming to you and asking to you, that asking you about what do I think about this, what do you think about this, that's where I think it becomes more urgent to then actually address it for the sake of your people. So if you're addressing it just because it's interesting to you, probably you don't need to. But if it's something your people are actually dealing with, then I think it becomes important for the pastor to address it. Pastors have to be addressing gay marriage and homosexuality now. It's all around us. Everybody's dealing with it. Everybody's looking for answers. Everybody's grappling. So I think the time is right for pastors to equip their congregations. Here's what the Bible says. Here's how God wants you to think about it. Yeah, that's a really good point and and an important distinction that, that part of what the internet does and that blogs do is they can exaggerate the importance or the significance of some issues so that a pastor who's dropped into it makes it seem seem like the the fire is all around him. When in reality, the fire nobody in his church even smells smoke. Right, and really, what usually happens is when new technologies come along, the older generation gets left behind, and the younger generation jumps all over it. So, if your congregation is older and you're addressing those issues, even more so, you're speaking to people who have no idea what you're talking about and probably no interest. If your congregation is very young and tech-savvy, then chances are there's a greater percentage of them that actually are reading these things and thinking about these things. What are some of the things that the, the average faithful pastor 
can do, Tim, just to try to stay responsibly apprised of of what's going on beyond the local church? Sure. Uh, I think just reading a few blogs and keeping up with books, I think it's very helpful to look at the, the list of Christian bestsellers a few times a year just to see what's there. It doesn't change that quickly. So you can look a few times a year and keep up with those books. You know, you'll see all the Jesus Calling and Heaven is for Real and books like that. And I think every one of those books, if it sold a million copies, that's telling what people want, what void they're feeling in their life that they think this book will address. So looking at what people are reading, trying to understand why they're reading it, and bringing them something better, right? We've always got something better than the the Jesus Calling kind of theology of the Bible wasn't enough, so I needed more than that. We've got better answers than heaven is for real. So bringing those to your people, it doesn't have to be a sermon against the books, but just emphasizing those things through the preaching. It's all there in God's Word. And I, I think there's value in keeping tabs on a few blogs just for the sake of current events, what's going on, what's interesting, what people are talking about, what might be changing in the Christian world. How should a pastor choose what blogs he should be reading? I would look for blogs that are more positive than negative. So there's several blogs, that, there's a lot of blogs out there now that are focused almost entirely on what's negative, and you could call them watch blogs, you could call them whatever you want, but those will, those will not help your walk with the Lord. They won't help you as a pastor if you're constantly immersing yourself in all that's wrong in the world. So find blogs that are largely rejoicing at who God is and what he's done, and if they're addressing other issues along the way, that's okay. But just don't live in the, those negative ones. Tim, why are there Internet trolls? <laughs> because there is the world, the flesh, and the devil, uh, because sin is still operative. And so... It's especially easy to be a troll, though, because of the anonymity of the Internet. I've, I've had people say things, just horrible, horrible things, that I know they would never say to me face-to-face, and I fear I've probably done something similar in various cases. So we tend to think that since I don't have to look at that person and may never meet that person, that I'm free to say whatever I want. So somehow the distance that's created between us and the other person allows us to leave aside morality, godliness. What is the vision that you're holding out for biblical use of, uh, of the Internet? We're still growing in that, right? It's still very new, and it takes a long time to, to negotiate how we use our devices and use them well. So you go back in history when the phone first came about, and today we take it for granted that you pick up the phone and you say hello, and that's normal, right? But when phones were first introduced into society, people would say things like, who's there? Or what do you want? And today, if I picked up the phone and said, what do you want? As my first words, everyone would say that is very, very rude. But it took, we forget that it took society quite some time to negotiate what's rude and what's not. And so my hope is with the internet that society will negotiate a little bit better as to what is acceptable and what's not, what's rude and what's not. And what I'd like to see is Christians leading the way in that, Christians setting the course. Um, So far in this digital world, Christians have very much been following behind unbelievers rather than leading the way, and I'd love to see that change. And I think think it was you that made the point somewhere along the way that – that we can't dichotomize what we write and how we speak, that all of the passages and principles that govern speech should govern writing as well. Sure. 
Yeah, whatever the Bible has to say about speaking, you could just as as easily talk about writing. If it talks about the tongue, you could talk about the fingers typing. So uh, we're communicating, right? Whatever we're doing, however we're communicating it, it's out of the overflow of the heart that the fingers type and that the mouth speaks. Well, Tim, this has been very helpful and and very informative, and I want to I want to thank you for joining us for this podcast. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Just a few things in closing. If you're perhaps one of the few Christians that have never logged on to challies.com, I would encourage you to go there and to listen to or read all that Tim has there. Um, also, remember to visit amicall.com for lots of lots of free stuff and a growing number of other podcasts. Paul Tripp, Mike Horton, Dave Pallison are are either up or they're queued up to be uh, to be put on the the website. So grateful to have all of you joining us today, and we'll see you next time on the amicall.com podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Am I Called podcast, which was brought to you today by Four Oaks Community Church in Tallahassee, Florida. For more articles, interviews, and resources on calling and pastoral ministry, visit amicalled.com.